2022 college football season is finally here. Week zero is upon us. We have Northwestern taking on Nebraska. This game is going to be played this upcoming Saturday. Neutral site setting in Dublin, Ireland with a 12.30 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on Fox. Nebraska currently is a 13.5 point favorite going into this matchup. These were two of the worst teams in the Big Ten West last season. Both Northwestern and Nebraska went 3-9 last season. You look at Scott Frost. This most definitely is a must-win game for him. He's going into his fifth year as the head coach of Nebraska football. And Cornusker fans have to keep saying, what do we have to do to win these tightly contested games? Because... Since Scott Frost has been the head coach of Nebraska, 20 out of 29 of their losses have been decided by eight points or less. So what does Nebraska have to do to come out on the winning end of these one possession games? Now, Scott Frost pretty much cleaned house on his coaching staff. There are a lot of new faces on this coaching staff. However, I'm really excited about the addition of offensive coordinator Mark Whipple. Now, Mark Whipple was previously with Pittsburgh. He was really monumental in the rise of Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett now is with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was the only quarterback drafted in the first round of the previous 2022 NFL draft. So if you are a Nebraska fan, you're hoping that Mark Whipple can bring some of that magic from Pittsburgh that he used on Kenny Pickett and sprinkle a little bit of that magical powder on Casey Thompson. Now, Casey Thompson, I think, is a better quarterback than what a lot of people give him credit for. I don't really think he was all that bad at Texas. As a matter of fact, I thought he was one of the better quarterbacks in that conference. So you replace him with Adrian Martinez, which Adrian Martinez pretty much has been Nebraska football for over the last couple of years. The dude is a really good true threat quarterback, well, dual threat quarterback. However, I just felt like Adrian Martinez and Scott Frost, they just really weren't a great fit for each other. So it's good that both Casey Thompson and Adrian Martinez get fresh starts with new programs. And I definitely feel like Casey Thompson going into this game could have a really good day through the air for Nebraska. Because when you look at Mark Whipple's offenses for Pittsburgh, yeah, I mean, they were they could do damage on the ground. But most of the damage last season from Pittsburgh's offense came because of how potent the passing attack was. Pittsburgh had a really good group of wide receivers. We already know what Kenny Pickett did. And the offensive line was also pretty solid as well. You look at Nebraska going into this game, you're going against a Northwestern defense that has some question marks when it comes to how well the front seven is going to perform. So for Casey Thompson, you have good mobility, you have a pretty solid arm and good accuracy. I'm really excited to see how he performs in this game. Now, for Northwestern, offensively, if you're a fan of the Wildcats, you're hoping that this offense can at least get the 20 points this season. Because last year, Northwestern only scored more than 20 points two times. Literally, they only were able to crack 
plus 20 points and two matchups that they played in last season. Their offense was absolutely abysmal. And they have concerns when it comes to the quarterback position because they don't know who their starting quarterback is going to be. It's either going to be Ryan Helensky who started in a few games for Northwestern last year, but outside of the win against Rutgers, he wasn't really impressive in any of those outings. And then you have Brandon Sullivan, who we haven't really seen take a single snap of college ball at all, at least in the official game for Northwestern. So the quarterback position is a huge concern for Northwestern. And even if they do end up naming their starter, you don't know how good the quarterback play is going to be for Northwestern. However... I think when it comes to Nebraska being able to avoid an upset in this game, they have to be able to slow down this rushing attack of Northwestern. Because Northwestern is one of those programs that they're like Iowa and Wisconsin. You know that their offenses aren't going to be anything flashy. Their offenses are probably going to be predicated on them having really good play when it comes to their offensive line and being able to run the football down your throat and control town possession. You look at Northwestern, they have two really good running backs in Evan Hall and Cam Porter. Now, Evan Hall pretty much was the workload for this offense pretty much in a sense or he was the workhorse for this offense he had 196 carries for 1009 rushing yards he averaged 5.1 yards per attempt had seven touchdowns he also was a little bit of a factor in the passing game for northwestern as well so evan hole pretty much did everything for this northwestern offense but you have cam porter coming back now cam porter was huge for what Northwestern did during that 2020 season. Remember, 2020 is when they went 7-2 and they went to the Big Ten Championship game where they lost to Ohio State. But Cam Porter had a breakout season in 2020 because that was his true freshman campaign. The offense kind of ran through him in a sense. And many Northwestern fans were excited about what he could do in 2021. But... Unfortunately, his 2021 season got cut short due to an injury that kept him from playing in any regular season games last season. So I think that the two-headed duo of Cam Porter and Evan Hall is going to be really big for Northwestern this season. And it pretty much is going to be the heart and soul of their offense because regardless of how great the quarterback play is, Northwestern simply doesn't really have a lot of great options in the passing game. So I definitely think that Hull and Porter are going to be the two main focal points of this offense. And if Nebraska can slow down this ground game of Northwestern, they're going to have a very good chance of being able to win this game. And also for Northwestern, to have success offensively, they have to avoid putting themselves in third and long situations. So they have to be able to win on the early downs because if they find themselves in third and seven or any third and medium or third and long situations, they're at a disadvantage because you know the weapons aren't really there in the passing game. You don't really know what you're getting out of the quarterback play. So you have to be able to make sure that you can put yourself in third and manageable situations where you can still have the option of being able to get the football to your talented halfbacks. And then 
when you look at Northwestern's defense, now I do think their secondary should be pretty good, but the front seven is a little bit of a question mark. Now their defensive line wasn't that great last season. They weren't great when it came to getting consistent pressure on a quarterback, and they weren't great when it came to stopping the run. Now, they do have a lot of guys who they acquired from the transfer portal. They also have one guy who, who returning, who I tried to pronounce his name, but it just doesn't roll off the tongue right. But I think their defensive line is going to be pretty solid. However, you know, anytime you have to fill some needs through the transfer portal, you don't really know how great the play from that position is going to be. So... The success of their defensive line is mostly going to hinge on how successful they have been on being able to get transfers to come in from the transfer portal, being able to be developed and producing at a high level. So we're really going to get an answer to that this year with all of the new guys that Northwestern acquired from the transfer portal that are going to have big roles on this defensive line. Now, linebacker is something that is a concern. However, many Northwestern fans probably aren't really all that concerned about the linebacker play simply for the fact that even though they did lose their leading tackler from last year, you do have Bryce Gallinger or Gallinger who does return and you do have some new faces at linebacker. However, linebacker has always been a position that Northwestern has gotten really good play out of. So I think overall, when you look at Northwestern's defense, you definitely have to keep your eyes out on their defensive line. Because if their defensive line still struggles like how they did last season, then I think that Nebraska is going to put up a lot of points on Northwestern's defense. And really, Northwestern's defense has to play well as a whole because that kind of has always been Northwestern football. The identity of Northwestern football has been being able to have good play in the trenches up front, having a good rushing attack, and on top of that, having a very lights-out defense. So if their defense isn't able to get consistent pressure on Casey Thompson, this secondary is going to be in for a very long game. And on top of that, it's going to be a very long afternoon for Northwestern fans. Now, offensively for Nebraska, their offense, I think, was pretty solid last season for the most part. The thing with them is that they didn't really know how to get the ball into the end zone when it got into the red zone. And neither one of these two teams had good red zone offenses in general. Northwestern's red zone offense was 111th in America last season. And Northwestern's offense was worse. They were 123rd in red zone scoring. So the key to Nebraska having success in the red zone, really, I just think depends on how good the offensive line is going to be this year. Because I think when you have a good offensive line and you have guys who are able to clear holes up front for you in the ground game, it makes it a little bit easier once you get inside the red zone. Because once you get inside the red zone, ideally you want to try to punch the football in by running the football because it's a lot harder to throw in the red zone since the field is condensed and pretty much the majority of your playbook gets cut in half. So the amount of plays that you can run in the red zone are a little bit more limited. So I think for 
Nebraska to have success in the red zone. I think you do have the dual threat ability of Casey Thompson there, but I think the fact that the offensive line is going to be improved, that's going to help out that run game. So I think that the run game should help Nebraska be a little bit better in the red zone this season with the improvements of the offensive line. And then on top of that, you look at the fact that Northwestern still may not have a good red zone defense because their red zone defense was in the middle of the pack last season. Same thing with Nebraska's. But at the same time, with Northwestern having a little bit of an overhaul when it comes to their front seven, normally teams that are good inside the red zone normally have good play from their defensive line and their linebackers in the red zone. We don't really know how great the front seven play is going to be for Northwestern this year. Meanwhile, you look at Nebraska their defensive line and their front seven situation is a little bit more situated compared to Northwestern's. So I think that Nebraska is going to be the team that has more success in the red zone in this matchup, which is going to be really big because if this game does get to the fourth quarter, you do like Nebraska's chances, even though they haven't been great in the fourth quarter games under Scott Frost. You do like the fact that Northwestern's offense is going to struggle to put up points. And that's it doesn't really matter if Northwestern has good quarterback play or not. Northwestern just simply is one of those teams that their offenses normally aren't better than average at best. So I think with Northwestern's offense pretty much going to struggle in this game, I think that this is going to be a matchup that if it does go into the fourth quarter, if you're a Nebraska fan, you should still feel pretty confident about your chances. Now, I think for Nebraska, you have to avoid letting this game get into the fourth quarter, at least late into the fourth quarter. So if Northwestern goes into the fourth quarter and it's five minutes left and they're only down, let's say, 24 to 20, Northwestern is in a pretty comfortable spot. Because that's how they like to win games. However, you look at Nebraska, this really should be a game that if Nebraska allows it to be close in the fourth quarter, they most definitely could lose simply for the fact that I think with Northwestern, if this game is close, it shows you that Northwestern's defense is going to be pretty good, or at least their defense is going to be good enough to keep them in this game, which means that they probably forced a turnover or two. And the second thing it shows you is that, you know, Nebraska still has some things that they have to get situated by themselves on the defense side of the football, such as, you know, how great is the defensive line play going to be when you're matched up against a offensive line that is as good as what Northwestern's is going to be this year. Your defensive line is going to have to be able to have some good depth, be able to keep guys fresh. Another thing is this. If Nebraska can't really go into this game and just blow Northwestern out by, you know, the third quarter, it still allows Northwestern to run the kind of offense that they're accustomed to running, which is running the football, getting on the center. And I think for the Cornhuskers, if you can come in this game and you can get out to a comfortable league early, it's going to force Northwestern to have to play a style of football that they're accustomed to playing. And that is having to throw the football to win games. So I really think for Nebraska, if they want to win this game, they can't let it be decided 
by the fourth quarter. They have to be able to come into the fourth quarter and at least be up a good amount of scores. I say at least 17 points would be comfortable because for Nebraska, the kind of leads that they've given up over the last couple of years, I don't think a 10-point lead would be enough. So I think a 17-point lead going into the fourth quarter will have you feeling pretty comfortable. But if this is a one-possession game, Northwestern would be the last team that I would want to be in a one-possession game with. But if it does get to that point, your defense should be able to help you pull it out simply for the fact that I don't think that Northwestern's offense is going to be all that great in this matchup. Another thing that Nebraska has to be able to do is they have to be able to force takeaways. Nebraska was one of the worst teams in college football when it came to forcing turnovers. A team like Northwestern that's going to struggle to move the ball efficiently, you have to make sure that you can steal extra possessions away from them. Because if you're able to take away extra possessions from a already struggling offense, you put them at an even bigger disadvantage if you're able to convert those turnovers into points. So I think for Nebraska, for them to win this game, they have to make sure that they can force a turnover or two. On top of that, they have to make sure that they can keep Northwestern from being in third and short situations, force them to be in third and long situations where you know they have to throw the football to beat you. And then offensively, I really think inside of the red zone, they should be able to have some success there simply for the fact that, you know, Northwestern's red zone defense still probably won't be all that great simply for the fact that they have so much turnover when it comes to their front seven. So the team that I'm going to take to win this game, I'm taking Nebraska. I think that Northwestern could have a chance of pulling off the upset if they can get this game to the fourth quarter. However, I just don't think their offense is going to be able to do enough to win this matchup. You see, even if Northwestern's defense can keep them in this game, I just don't think that their offense is going to be able to sustain enough drives to put points up on the board when it matters. So I'm going to take Nebraska to win this game. 27-17 to is going to be my final score prediction in this game. I'm going to take Nebraska to win outright. But I'm going to take Northwestern to cover because I do think that Northwestern's defense is going to be pretty solid this year. However, I think that this offense is going to continue to hold them back. And although this is going to be a good defense that I think Nebraska is going to have this year, I do think the fact that Northwestern's offense being so Northwestern is going to make Nebraska's defense look even better. So give me... Northwestern for the points. Give me Nebraska outright the win. A couple of days ago, I was on Twitter in this college football Twitter space, right? And they were going around telling everybody to say who their biggest sleeper team was for this season. So they get to me and I tell them that my biggest sleeper team for the 2022 college football season is South Carolina. And everybody absolutely laughs at me. And then a couple of seconds later, when the laughter started to die down, they asked me, okay, JT, how many games do you think South Carolina is going to win this season? I told them eight, and they started to laugh at me again. And everybody's thinking I'm trying to be a troll or I'm trying to be funny. And the whole time, I'm looking back behind my phone screen just like this with a straight face because I'm dead behind serious. And 
you know, people started to come at me trying to say, JT, you got to be a South Carolina fan. There's no way that you can possibly believe that South Carolina is going to win eight games with how tough their schedule is. And I told them, for one, I'm not a South Carolina fan. I am a diehard Miami Hurricanes fan. You can find plenty of content on YouTube of me repping my Miami Hurricanes. Same thing for my Twitter profile. But if I got to be a temporary fan this year and root for South Carolina because I have them winning eight games this year, if I got to be a fan of them also behind my Miami Hurricanes, then I guess I'm a temporary fan for this season of South Carolina football. Then another thing is that I don't care how tough South Carolina's schedule is this season. Okay, at the end of the day, when I look at South Carolina, I see a roster that has enough talent of being able to win at least eight games or more. And their defense is already pretty solid. And their secondary is going to be really good. But this offense could shock a lot of people, not only in the SEC, but in college football as a whole. Because think about it. The two biggest weaknesses that South Carolina had on offense last season was the quarterback position and the offensive line. Now, when it comes to the offensive line, we really don't know. All we can do is project. We can project that the offensive line should be better this season, and it definitely will be. I'm willing to put money down on this because I don't think their offensive line can get any worse than what we saw last season. And I think with the offensive line going into this year, I think that you don't really need them to be great. Are you really are hoping for, if you're a South Carolina fan, is to just be better than what you were last year. So if you're a South Carolina fan, you're just hoping that you have an average offensive line. And I think that South Carolina is going to be able to get that out of this unit. However, what if they're hitting their stride? How good could this offensive line be? What is the ceiling for this offensive line? I think at best, this could be a, a above average offensive line. So when you look at South Carolina... You give them an above-average offensive line with Spencer Rattler at quarterback, this offense is going to cook. Because this is another thing that people overlook. South Carolina's wide receiver position is absolutely stacked. Josh Van was a monster last season. 43 receptions for 679 receiving yards and 5 touchdowns. If he would have declared for the draft last year, I felt like he would have been a 3rd or 4th round pick. But he decided to return. You got the carry-on joiner, who had 24 receptions, 221 receiving yards, and a touchdown. Both of these wide receivers are super talented, but they were held back by lackluster quarterback play. And no matter how you feel about Spencer Rattler, there's no way in hell that you can tell anybody with a straight face that Spencer Rattler isn't the best quarterback that they have had in a while. At least better than what they had trying out there last season. And the things with Spencer Rattler that people keep harping about, such as his pocket awareness and his decision-making, these are all things that can be fixed with coaching. You see, it's crazy, right? People talk about how you got to have all these five or four stars to be able to compete for championships, right? But people act like you get these four and five stars on your team and they just coach themselves, no, somebody has to help these guys develop. Who's in charge of that? The coaching. And it's funny because everybody who said, oh, I like Shane Beamer, JT. I just don't know if it's going to work this year. You said that last year. 
And look what South Carolina did. They over-exceeded expectations. And you're saying the same thing this year. Oh, I love Shane Beamer, but I just can't see them winning eight games. If you love Shane Beamer, that means you trust Shane Beamer. That also means that you trust not only him, but his coaching staff. So if you love Shane Beamer and you trust Shane Beamer so much, you should have enough confidence in this coaching staff to be able to help improve this offensive line and help further develop Spencer Rattler. So you look at the fact that they're stacked at wide receiver. You got Josh Van, the carrying joiner there, but you also have Antoine Wells Jr., right? Who was one of the best wide receivers in the FCS when he was playing for James Madison University. You want to know something crazy? Antoine Wells Jr. ranks third time in JMU football history in receiving touchdowns. He also ranks ninth and yards and career receptions there. The dude is an absolute baller. He's also going to have a factor in the passing game when it comes to the wide receiver room. You also have Jaheen Bell, Austin Stogner. This is one of the best tight end groups in the SEC, definitely behind Georgia. Like Jaheen Bell is one of the best tight ends in college football. And then you have Austin Stogner, who also follows Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma to South Carolina. Like, this offense has a ton of weapons in the past game. Now, running back, you're set there. You got Marshawn Lloyd, who was the fifth-ranked running back coming out of that 2020 class. However, he suffered an ACL injury that caused him to miss all of that 2020 season. And last year, 2021, he came back, but he wasn't really that big of a factor in the offense because he still is trying to work himself back to 110%. But this year, he should be getting the majority of the carries. You also have Juju McDowell, who is pretty much to change the pace back. He can do it all. He also can return punts and kicks as well. Then you have fifth-year transfer from Wake Forest and Christian Bill Smith, who led the Demon Deacons and rushing guards for the last two seasons. So this is an offense that has a lot of talent at every single position. Like if one of their key contributors at wide receiver goes down, they have somebody coming off the bench who can step in and have a high-level production. Same thing with the running back in tight end position. The biggest concern is the offensive line, but I think that the offensive line should be solid this year. And if this offensive line can perform at a average to above-average level, South Carolina is going to shock a lot of people this year. Because people act like they got holes all over the roster. Like, this offense is already made. All they just need is better quarterback play than what they had last season. And in a solid offensive line. And they are going to have a lot of guys who are going to absolutely blow up. And I think for Spencer Rattler, all he really needed was a change of scenery. He's now around coaches that are going to put a lot of emphasis on trying to develop him, on trying to prepare him. I think for Lincoln Riley... You know, he never really asked himself, okay, what can I do to get the most out of Spencer Riley? What do I have to change? Because you got to remember, Lincoln Riley is considered to be the quarterback guru of college football. He had Kyler Murray, Baker Mayfield, both of those guys got drafted in the first round. They're both playing in the NFL, all thanks to his tutelage. So when you have so much success at quarterback, you know, sometimes when things aren't working out, you don't start to question yourself. You start to look at the player. And Caleb Williams did come in and perform at a pretty high level. But at the same time, you know, there were a lot of things that I feel Lincoln Riley could have done a lot better to help Spencer Rattler improve. Because at the end of the day, 
Lincoln Riley can get all the credit for helping Baker, Kyler Murray, and maybe Caleb Williams, but at the same time, he also deserves blame when somebody doesn't work out. And not enough people put the blame on him for Spencer Rattler not really working out. So you look at Spencer Rattler, man. I just think as long as this old line can hold up, South Carolina's offense is going to be one of the biggest surprises in the SEC this year. I mean, they have talent. It's just all about if the offensive line is going to give Spencer Rattler time to throw the football. And even then, Spencer Rattler was at his best when he was under pressure. He is one of the best throwers of the football when he's throwing against a blitz or he's throwing with multiple guys in his face. The problem with Spencer Rattler was he made mistakes when everything was clean. When he was throwing out of a clean pocket, he would roll out of the pocket as if there was a million guys in his face. His decision-making would also go down when he was throwing out of a clean pocket. So Spencer Rattler was kind of at his best when it was a bunch of chaos in front of him. So for Spencer Rattler, this is a quarterback that has all of the physical tools to play at a really high level. Really, it just comes down to the coaching staff. But I think that South Carolina's offense is going to be the biggest surprise in the SEC this year. But you guys let me know what you guys think about South Carolina's offense down in the comment section down below. A couple of months ago, a few days after the draft, I came out with a segment saying, who I thought was going to win the quarterback battle for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I said it was going to be Kenny Pickett. And a lot of people were upset with that because they kept saying, oh, JT, Kenny Pickett isn't ready. He needs to sit behind Mitchell Trubisky for a year. And I was like, okay. Then we get to training camp and Kenny Pickett starts out as quarterback three. And I say, all right, it doesn't really matter. He's going to end up showing us what he can do. When the preseason rolls around. So the preseason gets here. He dominates against Seattle. And then week two against Jacksonville Jaguars. He goes six to seven. Throws for 76 passing yards. One touchdown and no picks. And at this point. Why are we still having this conversation? Kenny Pickett has showed. Not just me. But all of us. That he has what it takes. To be the starting quarterback come week one for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And yet, people still keep saying, oh, he isn't ready, he shouldn't start right away. Like, bro, Kenny Pickett is having a very good preseason and also a very good training camp. The preseason is where your young rookie quarterbacks shine. Dak Prescott was very good in the preseason. We saw what he did. Russell Wilson in a similar situation, his rookie season for Seattle, he was battling out with Matt Flynn. He dominated the preseason. He started over Matt Flynn. Like, I don't really understand why people keep pushing back on Kenny Pickett starting week one. If Kenny Pickett has to start week one, it's not the end of the world. As a matter of fact, that's what should happen. Kenny Pickett was a first round pick for a reason. He was the first quarterback taken off the board for a reason. And on top of that, let's stop acting like he's 22 or 21 years old. The dude is 24 years old, about to be 25. He should be starting by at least this year or midway throughout this season. And I don't understand the narrative that people keep saying he needs to sit for a year and learn behind Mitchell Trubisky. Like, bro, what the hell is Kenny Pickett going to learn from Mitchell Trubisky? That's something that I never understood. Jordan Love has been learning behind Aaron Rodgers for the last couple of years and still doesn't look 
all that great. How many backup quarterbacks have sat and learned behind Tom Brady? And yet, what have they done ever since? You get what I'm saying? Like, I don't think Kenny Pickett needs to sit and learn when he's good enough to start. If you have somebody who's good enough to play, you play the best player. You don't play politics. And I feel like a lot of people are trying to make this a little bit more political simply for the fact that you want to see Mitchell Trubisky get another opportunity to show what he can do with a great franchise. And I understand that. And I want to see Mitchell Trubisky succeed also. And Mitchell Trubisky has also had a pretty solid camp and a really good preseason. But let's not deny and say that Kenny Pickett hasn't had a better camp or preseason than Mitchell Trubisky. Let's be honest. Now, we can say, well, JT, I mean, we need to see what Kenny Pickett can do with more first-team reps and whatnot. I mean, Kenny Pickett was throwing to Deontay Johnson and Pat Firemuth. And then on top of that, he had Deontay Johnson on a touchdown before going into halftime. What more do you need to see out of Kenny Pickett for him to earn the right to be the starter? Because at this point, I think if you're Mike Tomlin, the clear-cut winner of this quarterback competition is Kenny Pickett. Now, is this an easy decision to make? It's not because Mr. Trubisky has also been pretty good. But the fact that Mr. Trubisky has had a really good training camp and a really good preseason, and yet Kenny Pickett is also having a really good training camp and really good preseason, the fact that he's outperforming a veteran that's performing at a pretty high level and he's doing this as a rookie shows you that he's good enough to start week one, people. Give Kenny Pickett the opportunity to start week one against Cincinnati. Because you can't say he's not ready, but yet he hasn't showed us anything that says that he's not ready. You feel me? It's like there's nothing wrong with sitting for a year. But people act like a quarterback sitting for the year is the formula to having success long-term in the league when there's plenty of other quarterbacks who have sat for plenty of years and still been boo-boo. So I think for Kenny Pickett, I think we've seen enough to know that Kenny Pickett is good enough to be the starting quarterback come week one for Pittsburgh if they are comfortable with rolling him along against Cincinnati. However, if they feel like he still needs a little bit more time and he still needs to learn a little bit more of the playbook, I can understand that. But if you're asking me who the better quarterback is right now, it's Kenny Pickett. And Mitchell Trubisky, this isn't a slide against him. He's had a really good preseason and a really good training camp. It's just that Kenny Pickett has just been so phenomenal. It's like, how can you not notice? And you got to remember that that week one preseason matchup against Seattle was with the third string. He didn't have guys on the second and first team who are most likely going to make the roster that he was throwing the football to. He was throwing the football to guys who are fighting for a roster spot. Guys who may not ever play football at the NFL level again. And he was making it look easy and had a game-winning drive. I mean, Kenny Pickett has showed time in and time out that he deserves the opportunity to be the starting quarterback for Pittsburgh come week one. And I really don't understand why Pittsburgh wouldn't do it. You spent a first round pick on him for a reason. You should want your rookie quarterback dominating the preseason and setting himself up to start week one. I think that this quarterback competition is kind of going a little bit better than how I imagined it. 
Because I didn't think Mitchell Trubisky was going to perform this well. And this decision is going to be pretty tough. But at the same time, who would you rather start? The young rookie with a lot of upside or the veteran that has a somewhat above average ceiling at best if he hits on everything and he gets developed properly? I think you got to go with Kenny Pickett. Why not go with the young gun? Because there's only so much that you can learn from sitting on the bench. And I don't think that Kenny Pickett is going to learn any more from Mitchell Trubisky than what he can learn on the field. And the only way to really get better as a player isn't just by sitting on the sideline. It's by getting in the game, getting some in-game action, learning from your mistakes in-game so you can improve. Every play in the NFL is a learning experience. So for those of you guys out there who are pundits of Kenny Pickett starting week one and you still feel like he needs more time, what about him has showed you that he needs more time? Are you just saying he needs more time because you don't want to start a rookie quarterback? Like, what is this about? Are we trying to see the best quarterback play? Because the best quarterback to me right now is Kenny Pickett. I would love to see Mitchell Trubisky perform with the second and third stringers in a preseason matchup. I would love to see it. So I think if I'm Mike Tomlin, and I have to make the decision right now who my starting quarterback would be for this season, it would be Kenny Pickett. The rookie has came out. He's earned his way up. It wasn't like he was just automatically given the keys and he was getting first-team reps. He started out as the third-string quarterback going into training camp. And he already has became arguably the best quarterback on the roster within the span of the preseason. The guy went from QB3 to arguably QB1 in the span of a month, pretty much. So if he's able to do that, why not give him the reins? He's obviously, he obviously has earned his spot. He obviously has showed a lot of signs that he has what it takes to be a starter. And on top of that, the dude hasn't really made any big mistakes in the preseason. You can say, well, JT, everything in the preseason is simplified. It's going to be different. I understand that. But you can make that same argument for Mitchell Trubisky. I just think that for Pittsburgh, I would have to roll with Kenny Pickett. I think that it's fair to say that he has been the most impressive and the best performing quarterback that we have seen up to this point of the preseason. But you guys let me know, do you guys think that the Steelers should start Kenny Pickett week one against the Cincinnati Bengals? I appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. Remember that every video that's uploaded on the channel is available in audio format on every single podcasting platform, wherever you get your podcasts from, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, the JT Sports Podcast is available. And I will see you guys shortly with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast.